it's quite exciting to have, have uh, the NTE mission here with us. Um, NTE holds a special place in my heart, actually, a long time ago, more than two decades ago. Um, when I was a baby Christian, I was about three or four months old as a Christian, and I went to my very, the very first Christian conference I ever went to wasn't NTE, and uh, that was a magical, life-changing thing. It was, like I said, I was a baby Christian, and it sort of strapped rocket boosters onto my faith, and I just took off. Um, so, 24 years ago, at an NTE, I wrote my first Christian talk. Here I am about to preach to you. Um, so, welcome guys from UNSW, it's great to have you here. And welcome to everyone else. Um, if you haven't met me, I'm Haran, and uh, welcome to Marsfield Community Church. So, we're about to start a short series, a short series looking into the birth of, the events leading up to the birth of Jesus. Uh, and so, I want to apologize in advance for this sermon. Um, I sort of expected this sermon was going to be a uh, Christmas sermon. But uh, the Bible has a funny way of doing things to you. Sometimes sermons write themselves and you dig into a passage and you think you know what it's going to say and then you read it properly and um, the Bible tells you what to say. God tells you what to say. And I realized that some of the things that emerged were a bit less than Christmassy. Um, Still good, still biblical, but there's no cute nativity scene here. Um, There's no baby Jesus, not yet. Uh, No manger, no stable, no animals in a stall, no wise men, no star. Just a significant chat between two women in the lead up to Christmas. But then, I was listening to the Christmas carols last night. And though I've heard these carols before, there was lyrics that leaped out at me that I hadn't paid attention to properly. Right, joy to the world. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. What picture is that painting for us? And O holy night, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression will cease. And then I wonder, maybe the carol writers had a better understanding of what Christmas really is about. A better understanding than I do. So by way of introduction, here's a sermon on Luke chapter 1. How about I pray and then let's dig in. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for Luke. We want to thank you for these words recorded for us that speak to us today. Father, we, um, come with open, we want to come with open ears and open hearts. We want to listen to you and what you have to say to us. And as Kate said earlier, Christmas is a busy time. There's a lot of things going on. But we want to come to the heart of Christmas. We want to know what Christmas is about. We want to know why Jesus came. And so, Father, would you help us today? Yes, there's a lot of things that are going to happen later on. Things will happen maybe even after this service, tonight, tomorrow, in the coming weeks. But, Father, for the next half an hour, help us to be attentive to you. Help us to pay attention to you. And, Father, would you speak to us? And we want to pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the movie Encanto, the main character is a girl called Mirabelle. And it's no accident that her name, Mirabelle, sounds like, rhymes with the word, miracle. Because her heart song, her wish song, the deepest desire of her heart, is outlined in her wish song, which is called Waiting on a Miracle. And she's waiting for a miracle because in her family, almost everybody else has a miraculous superpower. So... 
One of her sisters is super strong. She can carry donkeys and churches and all sorts of stuff. Her other sister can make flowers just appear with a wish. Her, other, her cousin has super hearing and so forth and so forth. Her family all has superpowers. And for no particular reason, she did not get superpowers. And so her family, who she loves, who she's very proud of, they treat her with a little bit of suspicion. Maybe she's cursed. Maybe she did something. Maybe she didn't do something. And what she desperately wants, more than anything else, she wants a miracle. She is waiting for her miracle to come. Right? She sings, I've been so patient and steadfast and steady. And she laments because to her family and to herself, what she is is not enough. She wants to be special. She wants a miracle. She desperately wants to be like everyone else. She wants to do magical things. But she's just an ordinary human being. Just like you. Just like me. And that's why she's waiting on a miracle. Have you ever felt like Mirabelle? Have you you ever really really wanted something magical to happen? Maybe you've watched movies and thought, yeah, everything would be better if I too had superpowers. Maybe you've watched movies and you've thought, my life would be different, would be better, and I'm just waiting to meet the right person. I just want to marry the right person, somebody who come and sweep me off my feet, and once that happens, everything will be better. Maybe everything would be better if something magical just showed up in my life tomorrow and gave my ordinary life meaning. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever wanted something to be better? Have you ever wanted something extraordinary to show up in your life? I remember a conversation I was having with a guy a couple of months ago, and he was really struggling. He was going through a rough patch. He still is, I think. And for him, um, a lot of things were broken in his life, things that may not be able to be fixed. And getting through every day was a struggle. And we were talking about what we could pray for him. And he said, you know what? Aaron, honestly, I am just waiting for Jesus to come back. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. That's all I'm waiting for. He was waiting for the extraordinary to show up. And that's us too, isn't it? Sometimes when you're going through a difficult period, when you're struggling, when life is difficult, you are just enduring and you're waiting and hoping that God will show up. And in a different sort of way, that's us as we look forward to Christmas. And all that Christmas means for the world and for us. And so, that's actually Mary too. As Mary looks forward to her first Christmas. And all the things that God has promised her. And I think Mary has something to teach us about what waiting looks like. After all, when the extraordinary showed up in her life, it was the most extraordinary the most extraordinary and miraculous event in human history. And so in this story, we've got Mary, and Mary goes, to visit, Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, and it's one of those moments of poetic symmetry. Mary is a young woman, likely a teenager, who will miraculously become a mother. Elizabeth is an elderly woman who, only slightly less miraculously, will also become a mother. And they have a conversation, and there's interaction between the two of them, and that's followed by Mary's song, by Mary's heart song, if you like. So what I want to do is start with Mary's song, Mary's song about God, about what God is doing in the world, what, what he's doing, how he's doing it. And after we look at Mary's song, then we want, I want to look at the conversation and think about what does that mean for us in this world? 
So if you're taking notes, point one, what is God doing? How is he doing it? And point two, what does that mean for us in the world? Traditionally, Mary's song is known as the Magnificat. The Magnificat. The Magnificat is the Latin word which means magnify or magnification. And according to Wikipedia, there is no other Latin text more often set to music than the Magnificat. And there are famous versions by Bach and Vivaldi and a whole stack of people I don't recognize because classical music isn't my jam. And if you read in older, older translations, Mary's song does begin it's a, in, with these words, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. I mean, it's not something we really say in modern English, so modern translations will say, it's a good translation, my soul glorifies the Lord. But magnification. Consider a magnifying glass. How does it work? Well, you look through a magnifying glass and the thing that you're looking through becomes bigger. Except that's not really true, right? We know this, that it doesn't act, a magnifying glass doesn't make things bigger. It makes things look bigger to us. Magnification is subjective, not objective. Right? So, as Mary magnifies God, God is eternal, God is infinite. God, you can't actually make God bigger, but for us, sometimes... Sometimes for us in our hearts and in our lives, God is too small. Sometimes we don't remember how big God is. Sometimes we don't remember how good God is. We don't remember all the things that he can do and will do. We forget that he can and will do amazing things. And so like a magnifying glass, what Mary wants to do is to make God look bigger for us. She wants to bring fame and attention and glory to God by telling you all about him, to focus our attention on God. Now, if you're a member of this church, you might be aware that we conceptualize ministry in five categories. We call them the five M's. Some of them are obvious, like membership and mission, but when we explain that one of the M's is called magnification, everyone gets confused. Um, what is magnification ministry? Well, that's actually exactly what Mary is doing right here, right? Magnification ministry. Mary wants everyone to know how amazing God is. And we magnify God to each other, when we sing of God's greatness to each other, when we pray, when we testify to one another that God is good. It's a vitally important ministry that we do here at church. It's a vitally important ministry that Christians need to do for each other. And now in a song, there are three things. There are three things that Mary tries to magnify for us, three things that she wants us to focus our attention on. Here's the first, verse 47. It'll help you to have your Bibles open. Verse 47, my, jo- my spirit rejoices in God my saviour. Right, so the first thing is God is her saviour. God is the one who saves. Verse 48, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God is a God who saves, but God is also a God who sees. He sees Mary in a humble state. And isn't it wonderful to have somebody who pays attention to you? Like, have you ever tried to talk to somebody when they've been on their phone? And you're talking to them, but they're looking at their phone. And you're trying to tell them something really important, but they're on their phone. And they might even nod at the right times, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they're not looking at you, it doesn't quite feel right, does it? You're not being paid attention to. People aren't giving you their full attention, and it makes you feel ignored, unvalued. But what Mary is saying is God is never like that. God is always giving you his full His full, undivided attention. 
And verse 48, he's mindful of the humble state of his servant. And like we saw in the first reading, God saw, God does see and God does save, right? In the first reading, God saw the Israelites suffering in slavery and he rescued them out of slavery. God is a God who saves and God is a God who sees. And he knows the salvation that you need. Second thing, verse 50, God's mercy, God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 54, God has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors, just as he promised. So the second thing Mary wants you to know is that God is faithful. What that means is, if God has looked after you yesterday, he's going to look after you today. And if he's looked after you today, he's going to look after you tomorrow. And God looked after you 10 years ago, he's going to be there in 20 years' time. If God looking after you today, he's going to be there for you in 30, 40, 50 years. And we know this, right? Because God has been faithful. Right? He was faithful to Abraham. He was faithful to Israel. He was faithful to Mary. He was faithful to Jesus. He was faithful to us 2,000 years later. He will be faithful 4,000 years in the future. God is faithful and always faithful and ever faithful. He will keep his promises to our children, our children's children. And that's important. Like, do you believe that God will be faithful to you? Do you believe that he will love you and care for you when you're going through your darkest days? Do you believe that Jesus will return as he promised? That he will come and put an end to all suffering and there will be joy and he will take us home? Do you believe that? You can believe it. Because he will be faithful because he has been faithful. He is always faithful. God is a God who sees and saves, and God is a God who is faithful to his promises. Here's the third thing. God is a God who is revolutionary. He is inversionary. Verse 51. He's performed mighty deeds with his arms. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. God brings down the proud. He brings down the rules. He lifts up the humble. God is a God who turns the world upside down, inside out. He inverts the natural world order. He's, there's a modern term for that. And God is a disruptor. This is a word we use in technology. I work in technology. I work for a startup. Um, in technology, what we do is we celebrate people who disrupt things. Here are some disruptors right now, right? Amazon disrupted booksellers so you could buy books online. Some of you may not even remember that once upon a time you used to have to go into a physical bookshop to buy a book. Now the first thing you do is you go on Amazon and you buy everything online and it arrives at your doorstep tomorrow. Amazon disrupted booksellers. Tesla disrupted the car market. Netflix disrupted cable television and the video rental market. You don't, there is no blockbuster anymore. Netflix disrupted it. Google disrupted how we organize things on the internet. Right? Once upon a, and then they not just disrupted that, they disrupted advertising. Once upon a time, you had to go to a newsagent and buy a newspaper for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. Now when you read news online, it is free. Why is it free? Advertising. Right. So we celebrate disruptors. Disruptors are great. They change the world. A good disruptor changes the world for the better. Disruptors disrupt 
things that need to be disrupted. But sometimes we don't just need commercial disruption or economic disruption or political disruption if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes we need a personal and spiritual disruption. We need something like Jesus to come along and turn our little world upside down so that we can realise what really is true and good and important. What is God disrupting? Verse 51. Here God is against those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Right? Like the story of Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he could ignore God. He thought he was more powerful than God. He thought he didn't need to listen to God. And what did God do? In the first reading, he cast Pharaoh down to the sea. And humble Israel, who were slaves in Egypt, he raised them up to be his chosen nation. Jesus gives us just this sort of disruption. He inverts the world exactly in this way. Right? What do we see when we look at Jesus? Jesus is going to show us a better kingship. The king of the whole world is not going to be born in a palace with gold and jewellery and servants. He's going to be born in a barn. He's not going to be born to royalty with a silver spoon, but he's going to be born to common folk with animals surrounding him. Jesus is going to show us better leadership. He doesn't lead from, he doesn't lead from the top. His, service, his, his leadership looks like foot-washing service. Jesus is going to show us a better way. The first will be last. The last will be first. Jesus will show us a better victory. He shows us that victory sometimes looks like defeat. But his death... His death is going to lead us to life. Jesus is going to show us the only salvation. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Mary wants to magnify. Mary wants to glorify the Lord. She wants you to know know these amazing things about what God is doing in the world. Mary wants you to know that God is a God who sees and who saves. God is a God who is faithful to his promises. And God is a God who inverts the world. He casts down the proud, he raises up the humble. He will raise up the humble and the faithful. That is who God is. That is how he acts in this world. Now there are two, there is a prime example of God lifting up the humble right here in this passage. Right? Let's zoom out from Mary's song. Consider the scene. From a human perspective, we have a young woman soon to be a pregnant teenage mum, and she visits an old woman, soon to be an elderly parent. There's nothing special or significant in this scene yet. Right? These are ordinary folk. These are hardworking. They're salt of the earth. They're not rich. They're not influential. No one's going to make a Netflix series about them. And yet, God shows up, and God does something amazing through them. Right? Keep looking at the scene. Take out your magnifying glass. What do you see? In this scene, we see two women who are chosen and blessed by God. In her old age, Mary, uh, sorry, Elizabeth, has been blessed with something denied to her her entire life. Not only that, but Elizabeth has been chosen to be the mother, a mother of the latest and greatest of the prophets, John the Baptist, the herald of the coming king. Elizabeth has a special place. She is blessed and chosen. And Mary has been chosen to bear Jesus, the son of the most high God, the one who will be the king. One blessed woman visits another blessed woman. There is is contagious blessing going on. Even the baby in Elizabeth's womb can can recognise how blessed Mary is. John the Baptist can't walk, can't speak, not yet. 
Um, but Elizabeth can. She says, verse 42, blessed, sorry, she says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child that you will bear. And why am I so favoured that the mother of the, my Lord should come to me? Our Catholic friends often make too much of Mary, but sometimes Protestants run too far in the opposite direction. And we don't pay enough attention to Mary, but Elizabeth points us in the right direction. What does she say? Verse 45. This is what she says about Mary. She says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promise, his promises to her. Elizabeth says, look at Mary. She is a true believer. She trusts in God. How blessed is she? Quick side note. Um, God's blessing right, is not a zero-sum game. Elizabeth is blessed, Mary is more blessed, and the right attitude is not about competition. Sometimes Christians get competitive, but it's not like there's a finite amount of blessing to go around that we're all competing for, right? Although, but sometimes, you know, human nature kicks in. Sometimes if the church down the road triples in size, sometimes there's a temptation to grumble and complain. We go, why can't we be like them? And we try to compare ourselves. But rather, like Elizabeth, what we should be doing is praising God for how he's blessed his faithful servants. If the road down the road, if the church down the road triples in size, praise be to God. Amazing. That's great. Right? Blessing overflows. Blessing is not a zero-sum game. So the Christian life isn't competition. We don't need to compare ourselves to, to other Christians. We don't need to compare ourselves to other churches. We don't need to compare ourselves to other university groups. We're all on the same team. We celebrate the wins together. Right? The blessing overflows. God is not so miserly that he sort of goes, no, that's enough blessing, sorry. Not enough for you. It overflows. It's abundant. Elizabeth is a woman who is blessed, and she's saying, well, you're even more blessed, and that's wonderful. That's glorious. What an attitude. Um, And the truth we need to acknowledge is that God raises up the humble, and he's raised up Mary, who is humble and faithful and has an extraordinary task, task placed upon her. And so for us... Mary is an example of faith, an example to all of us. And what does she do? Well, it's simple, right? Verse 45, what does she do? She believes, and she believes God. She believes that God is going to fulfill his promises. And it's not as if, right? It's not as if that God has promised something straightforward. What Mary is being asked to believe is that God is going to twist the laws of reality. Virgins do not spontaneously become pregnant. Never has, not in the entire history of the world. So for Mary, it's an active act of faith to believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, that he's going to accomplish these amazing things through an ordinary person like like you, like me, like Mary. And this faith isn't a once-off exercise, right? Like, this is not something that happens immediately. Every day, for nine months, Mary has to ask herself, is this really going to become my reality? Is Is what God said really going to happen? Every time she has to go, yes, actually this is what I believe. I believe and trust in God who is there. And it's not just nine long months either. Jesus is born and then she has to wait another 30 years to see some of God's promises fulfilled. So what helps Mary believe? Well, it's not blind faith. Do you remember her song? She knows, just like we should know. She knows that God is a God who sees and who saves. She knows that God is a God who is faithful. He keeps his promises. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. 
And we know that God is a God who does amazing things. He can turn the world upside down if he wants to. And he does often. He's done amazing and mighty things all throughout history. Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, Hezekiah, the list goes on. Right? God has done amazing things, has done, is doing, will keep doing. And so Mary is patient and steadfast and steady. Mary doesn't wait placidly for God with her feet on the stool. She actively exercises her faith. And while she's waiting, she cannot help, of te- help but tell of what God has done for her. Do you have faith like Mary that God will do great things? If you were with us last week, you would have heard Hans talk about the vision for the church of a flood of people coming to know Jesus. And I know that some people feel intimidated by this language of flood. I do, right? By definition, a flood is... It's overwhelming, right? But here's the thing about floods. Have you ever flooded a bath? I have. Let me explain to you how to flood a bath. What you do is you forget to take the plug out or, you know, you you clumsily leave the plug in the bath and it swells and plugs up the hole. And you turn the tap off, but not all the way. And, you know, you blame the fact that you're dealing with the children and that's their fault, not my fault. Um, And then it's just a triple, trickle, right? It's just a drop. You don't need much to flood a bath. You turn your back, you're putting the kids to bed, you're washing up, doing all these things, and the next thing you know, you turn around, a couple of hours later, the bath is overflowing. But all it takes is a drop. Just a trickle, just a drop here and there. And in the upside-down economy of Christ, this is exactly how things work, right? Because the path to greatness, what is the path to greatness? You don't grasp at greatness. That's not what Jesus ever does. It's about faithful, humble service. It's about turning up. It's a small, steady stream. And and, and given enough time, a small, steady stream turns into a flood. It overflows the bath. And so the encouragement to us is just Be faithful as Jesus is being faithful. Be faithful as Mary is being faithful. Keep turning up. Keep serving faithfully. Hold on to what Elizabeth says of Mary, right? Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Do you believe? See, God is always consistent and faithful and steadfast and steady. He does what he has always done. And let me close by pointing out what God is doing here and the way he's always operated the way he'll continue to operate, right? Did you notice? God is doing great things through ordinary people. Mary, Elizabeth, Joseph, Zechariah, they're ordinary people. They're not rich, they're not powerful, they're not influencers, they're not, uh, they're, they're ordinary human beings. But ordinary human beings like you and me can be involved in the great things that God is doing. God is doing great things to men and women, right? In this scene, there's not a single man. Jesus' mission was always supported by women. And God has no qualms about this story of two women having a conversation being in the Bible. You can serve God no matter who you are. And God is doing great things to young and old, right? Mary's a young woman, a teenager, never married. Elizabeth is an old married woman, well past childbearing age. God's doing amazing, impossible things through young, through old. Man, woman, doesn't matter. Ordinary people like you and me are part of God's amazing plans to change the world. And so, friends, can I encourage you? Wait patiently. Serve faithfully. Be like Mary. Be patient and steadfast 
and steady. Be like Mary and believe that the Lord will fulfill his promises to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to pray that we too would be like Mary, that you would help us to be patient and steadfast and steady. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we struggle to have faith. We struggle to trust you in all the things that you are doing. Um, sometimes we just don't understand what is going on in our lives and they're complicated and they're messy and there are unpleasant things going on and sometimes we think, where are you, God, and what are you doing? But Father, we pray that you would help us to endure and trust just like Mary. Help us to trust that you are good, that you are a God who sees us where we are and who will save us, that you are a God who is faithful, that you would do for us what you've always done for your people and look after us and care for us. And that you are a God who will do amazing things, who will turn the world upside down. So, Father, help us. Help us to keep showing up. Help us to be faithful. And we, Lord God, we want to look forward to the day when we'll see all the amazing things that you have done.